0: Hey witches, welcome back to the Witch the Vote podcast with Paige and Erica. I'm Paige. I'm Erica. Uh, and that buzzing sound that you may or may not hear is my next door neighbor maybe vacuuming or possibly like operating a handsaw in his apartment, or maybe as a vibrator that got caught between the bed and the wall. We don't know. So sorry about that if you can hear it. Uh if you want me to not have such loud neighbors, start voting for housing policies that would allow us to own property and not live in an apartment. <laughs> um, thank you so much for continuing to send in ratings and reviews. It's it's really helping um, get us more listeners and get more witches connected. And the more witches who are listening and connecting, the more suggestions we get for episodes and guests. And it just feels really good all around for everybody who doesn't love success. So thank you for that. Um, we've got an exciting, I, f- I feel like I say every time that we have a really exciting episode, but it's always a really exciting episode. We're excited. Yeah, we're just really excited because you got to have something, right? <laughs> um, so we have uh, Jessica Cappanegro of Snake Hair Press with us today to talk about everything they do to fight. Capitalist, heterosis white supremacist patriarchy, and yeah, it's a really great conversation, so thanks for joining us. So we're here in the podcast loft today with Jessica Caffanegro, who is an owner of Snake Hair Press, a super radical, uh, anti-capitalist, feminist, just awesome uh, printing company Thank you so much for braving the MBTA <laughs> to be with us today.
1: My pleasure.
2: <laughs> okay, so we found each other because you make amazing things, zines and other little bits and bobs that are uh that always sell really quickly in the shop. Um people love them. Uh, The Simple Spell Against Cis, Hetero, White Supremacist Patriarchy, which is a tiny zine that comes with um, soap and instructions for how to cast that spell. Matchbooks that say, which is against white supremacy. Uh, Let's burn this shit to the ground. I mean, these things we can't even keep in stock uh, in the shop. They always fly so fast, which makes me so happy. Um, And one of those things is your amazing zine, which is in print or how the patriarchy weaponized the printing press. To silence independent women. And I just wondered if you would read a little bit from it because I think it just does such a nice job of explaining sort of why it's so important to reclaim witches and how you do that by subverting sort of the traditional uh, mechanism of the printing press.
1: So definitions of witchcraft and superstition vary through civilizations and evolve through the passage of time. There's no culture that does not contain within it some form of magic. Magic is found everywhere, from early Babylonian texts, pre-Columbian Mexican murals, and Greco-Roman ruins, to Bahim astrology, the shamanism of Korea, Siberia, Africa, and Australia, and the writings of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Sometimes, prayer and magic are indistinguishable. Likewise, in Europe until the Middle Ages, it was extremely difficult to differentiate between magic and medicine. Lay healers of all genders often worked in isolated communities, creating herbal remedies, consulting astrology and other magical means as a way of diagnosing and treating illnesses, and creating amulets and protection against harmful, unexplainable forces. In the 15th century, however the European church made a concentrated effort to outline what types of magic were acceptable and to punish those who did not follow its mandates. The printing press, invented around 1440, dramatically changed the way by which literate populations were able to circulate information. Though the early printing presses were typically used for text, many books contained reproductions or drawings of prints, which allowed a greater audience access to information. The church and those in power made expert use of the printing press weaponizing it to disseminate propaganda that declared magic and witchcraft inherently evil. With the intent of identifying and punishing women who did not submit to their will, the church used reproducible media to associate independent women with witchcraft, regardless of their actual experience with magic. As described in Witches, Midwives, and Nurses, A History of Women Healers, quote, the witch craze took different forms at different times and places, but never lost its essential character that of a ruling class campaign of terror directed against the female peasant population, which has represented a political, religious, and sexual threat to the Protestant and Catholic churches alike, as well as to the state, End quote. From their very inception, witch hunts were organized, initiated, financed, and executed by the church and state in an attempt to control women, and much of this imagery was disseminated through the mass production made possible through the printing press.
2: Okay. Thank you. That was a beautiful job reading. So, you know, this zine in particular is about how the printing press was used as a weapon against, you know, as you say, independent women. And so what you've done with Snake Hair Press is subvert that, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Into sort of being a witch printing press (laughs) um, business. How did you get started? You know, just kind of tell me everything.
1: Yeah. So Snake Hair sort of started... um when my partner and I moved to Boston. So uh, right before we left Chicago, we um, made our first collaborative zine. Uh, I was working at the city colleges in Chicago, and I was teaching printmaking um, and art history. And I was writing this blog called Thanks, Sweetheart, um, which was all about sort of sexism in academia and personal stories for me and I took um, submissions anonymously from other people who were working in academia and we decided to make a zine where he's a designer and an illustrator by trade and came up through like the rock poster screen printing world Mm -hmm. so he did all the illustration illustrations and drawings um, and I sort of like wrote this text for this project called White Men Are The Worst. <laughs> um and we were part of the Chicago Printers Guild and they had a tabling fair, they had a publishers fair. So instead of bringing a lot of stuff, we brought this one zine. <laughs> um and we sold only that zine um and all the proceeds went to Rape Victims Advocates in Chicago, which is now uh, rebranded. Their name is now Resilience. Mm-hmm. Um so we sold them for $5. All of it went to RVA and we had like a little um, sort of table or a little section set up on our table that was people could write their own personal experiences with white men. So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Uh, we did that again at the Chicago Art Book Fair, Um, but that was like really the first thing that we made together. And I had been making books and doing prints for 15 plus years and he had been making screen prints and sort of came up in this like DIY punk culture. Um, and then we moved here to Boston, where for the first time in 10 years, I didn't have a studio. I didn't have access to a printing press. I wasn't teaching, which I thought would be like a very seamless transition between 10 years of teaching in Chicago and coming to a place where there are tons of schools. But mm. <laughs> so turns out it's really hard to find a teaching job in Boston. Because <laughs> everybody comes to Boston for a
2: teaching job.
1: Um, so I was like, what am I going to do? We had just made the scene That was like at the very end of our Chicago life. Um, and I was like, I'm going to buy the cheapest laser printer I can find, which was like $70. And I was like, I'm going to make zines. And we're going to try and sell these zines. And we're going to sell them for as little money as possible. We're going to keep everything really affordable and accessible. And we are going to focus on things that we really care about. So we started with White Men Are the Worst. <laughs> And then sort of, I think the simple, the simple spell was the second scene that I made. And we sort of decided, okay, um, snake hair press, this is going to be like a thing for us. I'm going to put a lot of energy into it. So instead of just occasionally making zines, I was like, we're going to make zines. Yeah. <laughs> and then as two white people with a lot of privilege, we sort of decided that from the very beginning that a portion of everything that we sold was going to go to A social justice organization that we really cared about, that we thought, like, if I had endless amounts of money, I would give all of my money to them. So, generating, making things to generate money to give to places that we really cared about. They're doing a lot of really good work to make society more equitable.
2: Which is sort of, I think, a great way to be an anti capitalist living under capitalism, right? I mean, A lot of people ask me, and I think we'll get into this um, in future episodes, but, like, how can you be an anti-capitalist business owner, you know? And it's not, like, one thing necessarily, but there is a combination of things where I think you really can do your best to be Mm anti-capitalist and still make money um, as a a business, Mm
1: -hmm. right? And I think for me, it's about like owning the means of my production. Right. Right. So I'm not making, I'm not putting in all this work and then someone else is selling them and making money. I'm not generating money for someone else. I mean, you know, except me. But that's, but that's, <laughs> but that's an agreement that we come into, right? right? So like with holes, it's just like when I work with artists, like we make, a. We make decisions based on, like, what's right for each other. We have open, transparent conversations about money, about how we're going to split profits, about who's going to sell what, like, how we're going to, who we're going to donate the money to. Like, there's a lot of give and take in that situation, so.
0: Well, I think the big difference between, like, capitalism and just existing as a business owner is that the goals of an independent business owner are really different than the goals of a capitalist, right? The goals of a capitalist are always to dominate the market, to have a monopoly, whereas what we're trying to create is a lot more of a, you know, solidarity with each other and one person succeeds, everybody succeeds. So it's really cool that you're both in the place that you can support other anti-capitalist businesses with your anti-capitalist business
1: yeah so it's uh for the first two years that we existed we really only printed things that we were personally working on and I guess I should say Zach Hobbs is the, (laughs) the other person that runs this uh company with me where I do a lot of the sort of direction the art direction figuring out what we're printing but he is like uh an amazing designer and illustrator who has skills on the computer <laughs> in, in a way that like I uh, that makes it possible for me to make scenes? Because I was like cutting and pasting things, and like I come from like cut paste photocopy life. like
2: true blue DIY scene yes. <laughs> making culture.
1: Uh, but it turns out that like in it's very helpful. <laughs> when You're laying out books, an illustrator, wonderful for for certain things. So he's helped me learn a lot, and a lot of the things that he uh, that I can't do, he takes over, which is wonderful, including sort of um, this new thing that we're doing, which is occult studies, which I'm really excited about.
2: Yeah. Tell us more about that. That's really exciting. So
1: um, this year was the first year where we actually were able to work with another artist and print their things to actually publish another artist's work. So we worked with this poet, um, Amarante Mile Lara Ramos, who I have known for 15 years. She's like an amazing poet lovely human being. We actually got really close together. We worked together for, um, on this project of the reinterpretation of the feminist activist guerrilla group Witch Mm -hmm. in 2015, before the sort of mass uprising of all of the anonymous groups started. Um, We were doing one in Chicago with another artist, um, Chiara And But East Emilia is like an amazing poet, and um, when we finally made enough money that we were like, okay, we can responsibly work with somebody to print their work, like, that was the first person that we Sort of reached out to to start this communication, being like, "We want to, we want everything to be as fair as possible, right?" So, like, paying her a small stipend to work, you know, figuring out like how much we were gonna, how exactly how we were gonna print things, how much we were gonna charge for things. She chose the organization that we donated money to, so she chose the Young Center for um, Children's Immigrants Rights. Because as a, a someone who was born in Mexico and is an immigrant and is a, is a mother, it was a cause that was like really important to her. And then, sort of moving forward, we just started. We just did our first open call, which was like amazing and wonderful. We're doing. Hopefully, it will be the first of many <laughs> volumes. Um, but it's called Occult Studies, and uh, the first volume is sort of the the theme was loosely the apocalypse. Uh, which is something I think about a lot. Like in my home, we make a lot of jokes about like hoarding contacts for the apocalypse, or like oh my god, you know, I do like, that go back prescriptions. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. But like keeping it really open to interpretation, and we accepted poetry, prose, creative writing, uh, photographs. Like I was literally like anything if it can be printed, submit it because maybe we'll print it. And we got like almost seventy people that um, submitted things, which is great. Yeah, so, and and that's something that's really interesting because it's sort of, it's not just me reaching out to people that I already know, right? It's, like, creating these networks of cooperation, and I can't pay everyone who's in occult studies. But the deal was, like, you get three of them, and then you get to have one zine or button or sticker from snake hair that we make. I think there's a lot that happens in printing and publishing and in art in general where it's exploitative of the artist, and trying to work in systems where even if I can't pay everyone that submits to this open call whose work we print, like, how do we make it an equitable transaction? Like, how do we make sure that they're supported for the thing that they're giving me, providing me, that I'm going to put out into the world?
0: Yeah. Makes sense. Totally. Yeah. So it's like as much as we talk about which the vote, we also need to which the vote with our dollars too, and be supporting businesses that have really ethical practices that they can back up with um, experiences and real, real stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where that sentence was going when it started, but
2: well, no. Whatever. I mean, I it's true because I definitely know, like for myself. I would have a hard time having a store if I didn't know that like pretty much everything on the shelves like support someone that I really want to support like on an individual like one on one, you know, like personal basis, you know, and I think that if we can all sort of really marinate in that idea of, like, oh, no, like, you actually can, like, exist largely outside of, like, corporate power if you really try, right? Um, and it's these sort of ways, it's, like, these, like, grassroots – I, I truly think that, like, small business – is one of the great untapped like resources in terms of being anti-capitalist and like putting up resistance and like building a really strong like network of like humans working together to accomplish something and I think that and I and I think that small business is a really great untapped resource of like just general feminism Mm -hmm. um, because I've talked about this before but I think that like As a female identifying person, I didn't really think that the world of, like, business was for me. Um, It never occurred to me. People always ask, like, did you always want to open a shop? And I'm like, no. I, like, literally that idea never popped into my mind. Like, I wanted to be, like, a teacher or an artist or you know, whatever. And, and, but what I found is that, you know, business is actually like my medium, um, for being able to, again, like support people Mm -hmm. like you and like Paige and myself without, you know, so that we can all kind of live in existence outside of, you know, toxic patriarchy, capitalist, Mm
1: -hmm. white supremacist nightmare that we kind of live in. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that we struggle with, um, as a small business is, Sort of this idea that I, I, I don't think that there's any ethical consumption under capitalism. Right. End of sentence. But how do we sort of, how do we move through the world causing the least amount of harm as right. possible? Like, I don't, and we try really hard to source our materials from places. Like, I know Busy Beaver makes our buttons in Chicago. I know them, you know? Right. And like, the person who makes our uh, matchbooks, like, Foil, Stamps, them in Skokie, like, The person who we get our people over profits pencils from hand stamps them in New Jersey. So not going to a a Vista print or like a giant corporation that's just outsourcing things and you have no idea how they're printed is really important to us. And not to say that it's always been something that we're perfect at. You know, it's like being mindful of where I'm getting paper from, where I'm getting toner from, like, and I can't say that, like, I haven't found myself in a situation where I've had to order something from Amazon last minute because, like, I literally need this thing to fill this order. and needs to go out. Mm. And that sucks. But it's a reality of, like, how much time do I have to do this thing? And I'm going to do everything I can not to participate in the systems that make me, Sad. (laughs) Like I don't want to, but everyone is forced to at some point. Well, and it
2: sucks. That's such a good point, right? Because it's like, no, we can't do this perfectly. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean we can't really do our best, Mm -hmm. right? You know, I mean, it's the same with us, like Uline, by the way, small business people is like a nightmarish evil corporation, right? And so we order everything that we possibly can through another company called Eco Enclose, um, like our boxes and our packing materials and stuff like that. But occasionally like we have to order something because it has from Uline because it has to get here next day, mm-hmm. you know, or, or our business will be affected. And, you know, again, we, we try to avoid it at all costs, but it happens sometimes, you know? So I think that maybe people get, um, caught up in this idea of like kind of having to do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, same with activism, like in general. Right. Um, and you know, I don't think any of us are doing it Perfectly. So
0: no, but I mean, <laughs> if if we're looking at the big picture, right? We're looking at the future. Perfect is a society in which we have gotten rid of things like Amazon and um, right. these these really big industries. And what we're probably going to be looking at are much smaller communities rather than like one unified the United States. Right. You know, and so we're going to need to figure out now how to cultivate a network of small businesses where you know products that are similar to each other can exist because they're not going to be available everywhere like we're used to right Mm -hmm. now you know so it's it's like we're homesteading for the apocalypse right (laughs) (laughs) it all just comes back to when we're gonna have to rebuild eventually (laughs) yeah
2: Well, so, I mean, before we started recording, we were having, I think, a really interesting conversation about the election and kind of talking about, you know, I think a lot of people feel like maybe there still aren't any great options that, um, especially if somebody like Biden becomes the candidate, that it feels like more of the same. I had a conversation with a gentleman yesterday from Florida who said, they're all warmongers, it doesn't matter. And so I think that, you know, to an extent, obviously, that's true. But, you know, I would argue just that it's still important to get involved in the system as it stands now, especially now, um, right, where we have just someone who is such like a despicable embarrassment to humanity as our chief executive officer. But yeah, I was just wondering if you could speak to that a little bit.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, We the conversation that we had before, I think that just to sort of recap some of the things I uh, was thinking is that we sort of had that conversation because coming in here to a podcast like Witch the Vote, being someone who is definitely maybe 15 years ago would have said, I'm a Democrat, and now sort of like verges between like, am I an anarchist or am I a socialist, (laughs) depending on the day, who sort of walks through life seeing very few politicians who come anywhere close to... Representing me in any way that I want the world to be. The, the concessions that you have to make because of the situation, the way that our country was set up, the people who set it up. you know it's a, it's, a, it's a system that's set up by rich white men, most of whom owned slaves, who definitely were doing like dirty shit, who were obsessed with making sure that common people could not have any stake in government. You know, like, literally were obsessed with, like, the tyranny of the majority. Like, the idea that they were smarter, more informed, and better, and therefore more capable um, of handling the nation's problems and trying their best to make sure that no one else could make any changes. Like, you take that, the founding of a country that's based on, like, that would literally would not have survived without colonization, without genocide, without... The transatlantic slave trade, you combine that with sort of unchecked capitalism, and you have, like, the oligarchy that is the United States. Mm-hmm. So we, I understand when people are like, I don't see, I have not seen a difference. I have I voted for, you know, Barack Obama, who, God bless him, but, like, dropped a bunch of bombs right. on people, and ICE, the and, like, they had a bunch of all of this stuff, you know? Yeah. So I understand the sort of defeatism... The the, the the defeated feeling of being like i'm voting for the lesser of two evils but it's still really fucking evil. Uh now that i can i'm like yeah oh. have at <laughs> it. <laughs> um but i under- and i understand that. And um, and the amount of money that's in politics now means that like our presidential nominees for the most part are like multiple sides of the same rotten coin. <laughs> for in my opinion, you know and there there are some exceptions there and i think that there's sort of like levels to it. I still vote. Right. (laughs) You know, because I have – but I've also been in positions where, like, I was working two jobs that day and, like, literally couldn't get to the polls. Or I – it was so far away that, like, I couldn't make it, you know? Like, so I understand the sort of – the things that keep people from voting, whether, like, physical, whether, like, voter suppression, whether it's, like – It just being, like, too far away or too hard to make it there before or after work. Or, like, you have your childcare or, like, you're caring for, like, like an elderly parent or whatever. Like, I understand the things that keep people from voting. And part of that is the idea that, like, there's not that much difference. Right. And I think that a lot of that ended with Donald Trump. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right? Because he's taken things, he's made things, like, so extra, extra. Like, he's just, like, evilness was just, like, what's the word I'm looking for? transcended. Transcended. I was thinking, like, <laughs> it just, like, it multiplied, like, exponentially. Exponentially, mm-hmm. You know, like, he just took it and doubled down on the evil. But I also think that, like, some of the things where you can't, your vote actually does make such an incredible difference is, is local politics. And, like, I understand the sort of, the sort of defeatism of um, electoral politics about, like, caucusing and super delegates and all of that, the, the gerrymandering districts, like, all of that horrible stuff, but a lot of that, there's, like, a, there's, there's something that happens in, um, local elections that there's, there's not all of that hanging over, right? right. So, like, you can't actually make a huge difference if you know who, like, your district attorney is. Like, the Boston district, district attorney is, like, a fucking, she, she's great, like, decriminal, like, not... The people who are like your DAs, your mayors, your yeah. um, city council people are the people who are, are going to actually affect real change in your everyday life. And once people start to see that and once... um It becomes more normal to be a a socialist Democrat or it becomes like um, people are used to seeing these types of outside of like the moderate Democrat line of talking to people and thinking about politics. I think that things will change. Right. That's my hope. I'm like I'm a cynical optimists in my mind. <laughs>
0: no, heart. totally. I mean yeah, that's with you. that's a lot of what we talked about when we had Mary Kim Driscoll, uh, mm-hmm. Mayor of Salem mm-hmm. on the podcast was that, you know, if we're if we're getting all of these towns on board with becoming really progressive and radical and then we're electing these state reps who are also really progressive and radical and then instead of waiting for it to trickle down from the pre- the top to the bottom, we're kind of blooming mm-hmm. <laughs> from underneath. And so when we're talking about how important it is to vote, I, what we're really voting for is to like infiltrate the government with our people so that then we can restructure it into something that actually works for everybody instead of just the billionaires mm-hmm. or the the warmongers.
2: And I mean, Paige definitely knows the ins and outs of this um, better, But I, and I'm hoping maybe we can have her come on a future episode, but we did just have a city council election I in know. which uh councilor... <laughs> Um, that we very much support won by a single
0: vote. A single vote. People it's not just a saying and i i would just like to say that we had a couple people come to which the vote events from that ward in the city who had just moved from i think cambridge or somerville um and would not have had any idea who to vote for otherwise so like that that one vote talking to that one person it makes such a difference you know so We need to stop this whole, like, don't talk about religion and politics. Like, no, talk about religion and politics, Mm -hmm. like, all the time to everybody.
2: (laughs) Well, yeah. And I mean, I think that you will probably agree with this, but, you know, people are sometimes surprised at how political my business is and how outspoken we are. And, you know, I'm here to say that my business actually um, benefits from that and the fact that we are willing to put ourselves out there in an authentic way. And, you know, to me, like, I just couldn't call myself a witch and not speak out about these things and not leverage that term. You know, I've always said that for me, being a witch is, is a political distinction. Mm-hmm. So like when you were talking about kind of like, am I a socialist? Am I an anarchist? <laughs> and I mean, I think that's kind of a line that like we all kind of mm-hmm. walk, you know, and my answer is I'm, I'm neither. I'm a witch, you know, and so I'm neither and both at the same time, I guess. But you know, it is sort of like, and, and I know that this can't work for all businesses, but I do think that there's something to this effect of, like, people feel a little, you know, a lot disenchanted Mm -hmm. and a lot disempowered. And I I like to think that by setting an example of, like, no, 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 like, you can fully call out white privilege and capitalism and all of these things, like, with your social media platform and with your business. And people actually, you know, I think are inspired and empowered by it, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, (laughs) one of the things that we sort of decided really early on about state care is that we weren't going to sort of sugarcoat anything. I'm not a very good sugarcoater to begin with, Mm -hmm. but to to take like a very direct stand in sort of the things that we believed in, you know, and um, we're not for everybody. You know, I tell people like depending on where we are, like we do a lot of like markets and fairs and things. And there are a lot of people who walk up to our table and are like, (gasps) And they just, like, immediately walk away. They're just like, I cannot handle this. Like, no. Like, we had some – we have a lot of uh, (laughs) anti-cop paraphernalia. Right. (laughs) Like, very uh, against, like, the systematic oppression of people. Therefore, like, I can't be into cops. And at the Chicago Art Book Fair, we actually had—I wasn't at the table, but my partner was—and we had some cops come up and like talk some shit and like try to intimidate him. And you know, it's—we're not going to be for everybody, but there are people who walk up to our table and are just like, <gasps> "Right? Oh my <laughs> god!" I mean, I know that I felt when it's, I first saw it's your like the your wearers—best right. feeling in the entire world—to like know that. You've made something that not everyone's going to like and people are going to like actually push back against really hard sometimes. But that if it reaches the person that it needs to reach, that there's like this way of like building community through these sort of like printed things, right? Like they're changing hands. And I found one at like there was um, an activism show at the Morgan, um, Conservato- the Morgan Conservatory for Paper Arts in Cleveland. And I found one of the Witches and zines there like, someone had bought and, like, added to the zine library. And I was like, what an amazing, beautiful, right. wonderful thing, you know, to, yeah. to have it reach all of these different places. It it's yeah. magical. <laughs> it's, I say it all the time, like, words are magic, zines are spell books, mm-hmm. like, that's... <laughs>
0: Yeah, words are magic, zines are spell books. Totally.
1: Well, I mean, I think it's interesting because
2: one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about is the Malleus Maleficarum. So because you actually make prints of quotes uh-huh. from the Malleus. So do you want to tell the listeners? I mean, I definitely could, but you are <laughs> uh, much more interesting. So tell tell our listeners, what is the Malleus Maleficarum and why do you take the words mm-hmm. from it? Mm-hmm. And use them for your pro-witch propaganda, shall we say.
1: Yeah. It was a a treatise written um, by two Dominican monks in the late 1400s. And it was the first sort of book that um, correlated witchcraft with women. So previously, like, all genders were involved in, like, magical practices. But this was, like, witches are only women and all women are evil all sort of lust was blamed on women any sort of like marriage problems all the sort of things that we have come to know is like the patriarchal way that women are treated a lot of them sort of are written down in this treatise that was one of like this the most popular books at the time like we're talking about a time when like the printing press had only existed for like I think that the, at the time of the first printing like maybe like 50 years or yeah, so? Yeah, that's what I... Because it was, like, so, 1489, maybe. Yeah, 1489. Like yeah. So it's, like, the the mechanized printing press, right? So, like, people have been printing books in Japan for, like, centuries. So, like, we're not talking about, like, hand-printed one-at-a-time one books, but, like, the mass production of books. it was printed more than the Bible in certain years. So, like, it is really... There are, like, three books in the world that are printed, and one of them is this treatise on how evil women are. So I... I've always been sort of like, I I love language. Part of what I, part of like my personal practice, I do a lot of like writing. And some of the phrases in the book are just, they're these beautiful sort of really horrible, but really like ironic phrases that I love. Like, when a woman thinks alone, she thinks evil. All witchcraft comes from carnal lust, which in women is insatiable. Like, they're just so good and sort of reclaiming them as, like, a yes. <laughs> right. yeah, like, a yes and? <laughs> it's like they just gave us too
0: many bumper sticker ideas, right? <laughs> right? <laughs>
1: um. So sort of turning that on its head and reusing them in a, in a sort of positive way where I'm like, yes, <laughs> I am. There's also one of my favorite parts of the book is about how witches are – so the book also says that, like, women are – or witches – and women are capable of making men impotent. There's a lot of like penis talk in it. A lot
2: of and penis one
1: of And one of the stories is about a witch who um, steals penises and puts them in trees. It's like she collects them and she puts them in the tree. And a man has his penis taken and he goes to the witch and she, he's like, can I have my penis back? And she's like, sure, pick one. And he <laughs> points to one and she's like, he points to the biggest one. And she's like, no, that one belongs to the parish priest. So like, <laughs>
0: oh my god, <gosh. laughs>
1: like, like the level of like diabolical. <laughs>
2: um, And the Malleus then, you know, just like for a very brief history, historical context, King James, the of England, loved the Malleus. Uh, he's known as the hammer of witches and also of the King James Bible fame. So, you know, when we're talking about something like the King James Bible, which I think like probably like a huge percentage of Americans consider to be like the Bible, Mm -hmm. even though it's a very conservative sort of version of the Bible commissioned by this man who hated witches, Mm -hmm. hated women in general, I'm sure. But so when we're talking about this book, we're talking about something that truly has had a really influential effect on our world that I don't even think a lot of people know about, right? Yeah. Unless you've kind of like, you know, maybe you identify as a witch and so you've like looked into some of this stuff, but you know, I, I would argue that it, it has as, influential of an effect as the Bible.
1: I absolutely would agree. On, on yeah. the
2: world that we built. So I just I love that that you take those in and um subvert them. <laughs> it's it's just yeah the best. I, I have this idea maybe it's a collaboration or something, but it, it definitely is a kind of a reclaiming of the malleus in a in a really substantial way. Not you do it in a substantial way, but um just I don't know what it is yet. It's a, it's a forthcoming project somewhere down the line <laughs> in my life because I, because again, I just think like, yeah, it's, I see it as sort of our job as modern day witches to, you know, reclaim all of that, um, all of those ideas and, and, and again, propaganda, um, <laughs> and, and, and fix it.
0: Yeah. Cause if we're going to reclaim the power of those ideas, then we're also reclaiming the responsibility of, rooting out where those ideas are still affecting exactly now because as fun as it is to laugh about these like sound bites that they gifted us Mm -hmm. about the nature of women and of witches um there are a lot of people that are still being oppressed and being persecuted and really harmed by those ideas so those of us who are standing up now and saying like yes we're witches yes we're like Women thinking alone, thinking evil thoughts (laughs) against the patriarchy, and and we're going to end you, (laughs) basically. (laughs) Right. The the witches are coming. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And I I love to, as much as you subvert the, you know, patriarchal capitalist printing press, you also – Integrate your magical practice into your printing as well. I know you just got your new your new baby, and there's a lot of magic involved in the acquiring and anointing of it. Could you talk a little more about that?
1: Yeah, I rescued her from a church. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, what Paige is talking about um, one of the one of the main things that I wanted to accomplish this year was to get a Risa Graph printer. We've been printing a lot of things, either uh, laser printing them or um, I, I'm i like, because I have been trained with all sorts of printing for like 15 years, I will print at home. So I like print relief blocks and I screen print on my kitchen table, but there's a limit to like how big I can print and like how many of them I can physically do. And Risographs, um, it's a duplicator machine that's sort of like if screen printing and photocopiers like had a child... That child would be a risograph. They're mostly used by like churches and schools for like bulletins because they're sort of medium. They're like you have like a like a a window between like fifty and five thousand prints that you can make for each one. Unlike something like a screen print, where like if I print two hundred screen prints in a day, like I am exhausted. <laughs> it's a lot. It's like a lot of because I am pr- printing by hand. So that was one of the things I put into the universe, and I have a sort of practice of I like to write intentions and. And I wrote down, I think it was in August for the new moon, I, like, wrote this intention, and I was like, I want to get, and it's something, like, the risograph is something that I've been looking for for months. We had one in Chicago that didn't make it, it was a cranky one that was also rescued from a church. But um, it did not make the, did not make the journey with us. It was a really old one, it was in disrepair. And I didn't have a I didn't have a printing press yet. <laughs> I didn't like actually think this wasn't a thing I was doing. So in in August I was like, okay, I'm gonna put this into the universe. And I was like, I want to build this anti capitalist, anti white supremacist, anti patriarchal. Like, I just want to put more of that into the world. And I asked St. Lucy, who's one of the saints who I like love, who is the patron saint of printers, to help me, and I did a little ritual, and then, lo and behold, <laughs> in November, I found it, I had been communicating with this person in Newton at, um, at the Presbyterian Church, and funny enough, he didn't respond to any of my emails. But then my partner, who's <gasps> a man, emailed, oh, no. and it happened real quick, uh-huh. which is hilarious. But there are something- jokes on
0: that guy because <laughs> <laughs> you still got it.
1: <laughs> also, like I run the business, <laughs> right? right? yeah, but that's an you know, it's an aside, but it's actually a really funny story because we got there, and they wouldn't let us inside because they were like, there are kids here. Like we need them to be safe. And like, you we rolled up, and like my partner is a very tall man with like long hair, probably wearing like a dirty jacket with like patches and buttons <laughs> all over it. And I have a shaved head and a rat tail, and I'm probably wearing (laughs) Doc Martens or something, you know? So, like, they get a look at us, and they're like, why are you here?
0: You may not come near our children.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But, like, we finally got in. We finally got in, and we got it, and we sort of did, like, a cleansing over her, because we didn't want... They were printing church bulletins with it. So I was like, I don't want to have any of these vibes on my uh, machine, We named her Octavia after Octavia Butler, who's, like, one of my absolute favorite writers of all time, um, who actually does a lot about, like, looking towards the future and what happens during the apocalypse and, like, thinking really critically about, like, race in America and being a woman in America. And she's just, like, the perfect person to, you know, name this press hopefully... We will do. To name this machine after, you know. It's like, hopefully we'll channel some of her energy into the things that we make. Yeah,
0: totally. And she was the first thing you printed on it, too, Yeah, right? yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Made a little homage, a little portrait of her with some, like, herbs around her.
0: I love that. I just love that, um, that combination of, of magic with your work and with your like everyday machinery and because so often it, it turns into like oh a fight between technology and magic and it's like well we've actually been given this really awesome gift of being able to work with both of them mm-hmm. right so or people think that your magical practices have to be like totally separate from right. your
2: business mm-hmm. or your just like day-to-day life and right. yeah that's definitely something at house Witch that we really care about like showing people is that like Yeah, you can set an intention with your new printer so that, Mm -hmm. you know, everything that you print has this magical vibration to it. And it was just that easy, right? (laughs) I mean, like, it doesn't have, yeah, just that it doesn't have to be a a separate entity in your life. You can seamlessly work it in, you know?
0: Well, do we want to jump into our. Interview questions to wrap
2: up. So we're going to start this um, new thing with this episode and we're going to do it um, in every episode, as long as it's not lame. And so I I thought we could ask five questions based on um, the elements, earth, air, fire, water, and spirit. Since I think that's a framework that, you know, uh, runs through so many magical practices Mm -hmm. and just brings us back to I think um something outside of the material world a little bit right so the questions are I'll say the questions all first and then we'll start answering them does that sound good or just maybe let's just do one at a time one at a time okay okay so the first one I have is uh what are you fired up about right now
1: I mean, <laughs> we talked a little bit about this. Um, I just started listening to Bernie Sanders' podcast, which is called Hear the Burn. So, like, <laughs> I literally feel like maybe I'm fired up about Bernie Sanders right now.
0: Why do I feel like he named uh, that himself?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, uh, his press – it's not him. He he does, like, speak on it, but it's mostly his press secretary, Brianna, whose last name I cannot remember – who is sort of going, and I've only listened to a couple of them so far, but talking about sort of what the systematic issues are in America that um, a sort of socialist Democrat or what Bernie Sanders has been fighting against for like his entire sort of life and talking to different people who are in different aspects of the campaign and people who are voters and just sort of talking about, one of them is about healthcare, which was just like heartbreaking, like as someone who just got like a $500 bill From going to the doctor where there were no tests done, where I have insurance, but like, and I have like what's considered good insurance, but insurance only covered half of it. So, like, I have a doctor's visit that I have to pay $250 for, where I just talked to someone for like 10 minutes and they gave me a referral for a specialist. I have to give them $250. So, I'm really sort of, as someone who was feeling very overwhelmed by this election cycle, which feels like It started like 30 years ago. I feel like I'm actually starting to get fired up and seeing my friends who were like in Chicago traveling to Iowa for like caucusing and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I'm getting really excited to sort of see what kind of magic can happen in the next few months with primaries.
2: Yeah. Love that. Mm, Totally. Paige, what are you fired up about?
0: I am fired up for this coming Friday, which will have already passed by the time this episode comes out because time isn't linear in the podcast world. But um, this upcoming Friday, January 24th is um, going to be my baby's big day in Boston. There's a hearing at the Massachusetts State House for the Safe Communities Act, which would limit the um, amount of information sharing between um, the police and ICE. So I'm really excited to be part of the people trying to pack the room for that hearing. And then that night, the Boston Democratic Socialists are giving a lecture on self-managed abortion as um, basically the next frontier in the fight for reproductive justice and to keep abortion rights. So I'm, I'm very fired up for those two events.
2: Awesome. I'm fired up for this podcast. (laughs) I'm just happy. I mean, this episode, definitely. But just in general, just being able to have an outlet. I mean, one of the things that we were talking about before is people feeling like, feeling like maybe they don't have a point of entry in Mm -hmm. getting involved or, you know, making their voice heard. And so I just feel really grateful and lucky to have this outlet um, and to have all of you fine folks here doing it with me. I really hope that we can help some people feel like maybe they are empowered by something they might hear on this podcast to get involved and in, in something you know, um, or maybe just even to like find out a little bit more about their local government. Okay, so that was fire. So next we'll do earth. Um, What's grounding you?
1: I um, take a lot of baths. Mm. (laughs) That's like part of my like grounding and sort of releasing. I feel like Do you have Virgo in your chart? No, I don't have any Virgo in my chart, but I do uh, feel things really deeply (laughs) and I am very susceptible to like other people's energy and just like collective energy. So what's keeping me grounded, I think, is making sure I release all of that as much as possible. And part of what I do is just like take baths and read in the bathtub. And sometimes when I just like can't, I actually like will watch TV in the bathtub too, because like that has to be okay. Like sometimes I just need to turn my brain off. But yeah, like I have like a very epic bath game and just like remembering that like it doesn't need to be perfect. I just need to let it all wash over me and then go down the drain and then start again.
2: And you're making some magical bath products. Oh yeah, I
1: make a lot of magical bath (laughs) products. (laughs) I don't have
2: a bathtub,
0: so I just have to like
2: see them and and covet them. Yeah. um, Yeah, cool.
0: I... What am I being grounded by lately? I've been cooking and baking more recipes lately. I I was never really like a cooking or baking person. I mostly let my partner and our producer, Anthony, (laughs) cook (laughs) for me uh, and feed me. But I've been um, taking some cookbooks from my grandmother's house when I visit her lately. And um, following just older recipes from people who wrote into like the Boston Globe and stuff. I don't know. It helps me not have to worry so much about, you know, making up my own stuff as much as I love being creative that way. It just kind of feels more connected to people who came before and it's, it's calming what did <laughs> to you- just follow instructions. I do have Virgo in my chart. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs> What did you make for us uh, today?
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, I made butterscotch uh, brownies with chocolate chips.
2: Be jealous, folks. Be yeah. jealous. They're really good. They're really good.
0: They're, they're from my Nana's uh, Garden Club cookbook. Who She listens to this. So hi, Nana. <laughs> your, bron- your blondies came out really good.
2: That's like some ancestor worship stuff,
0: too, I it, feel like. Yeah, it feels like it. It does. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I will say it. I mean, I ground most often by sitting on my couch and being really soft and – yeah watching tv <laughs> and this week in particular i just want to give a shout out to um the netflix special cheer because <laughs> it what i'll tell you is that i mean it really connects you to humanity in a way that is sort of outside of I think a lot of the things that I personally think and talk about on a daily basis because it's literally like a competitive cheerleading team from Texas (laughs) Um, but they're like a ragtag group of you know sort of a lot of people who have come from really challenging backgrounds, actually, um and they all kind of come together to be this like amazing team of like acrobats. Um, it's every a, a lot of people are talking about it, but anyways, I just found um, a lot of joy in it this week. And again, even though it's not like maybe the like most spiritual way to ground, um, <laughs> it's a pretty convenient and nourishing way in winter in boston to ground just yeah so cheer it's on Netflix. it's awesome i mean it's just like super entertaining but also like you'll probably cry um okay so for air what are you thinking about these days
1: i mean i've already said this but i've been thinking about the apocalypse a lot Same. and um In some good ways and in some bad ways. I mean, because we just did this call. What
2: are the good ways that you think about the apocalypse? Because they
1: think about the apocalypse coming and then what gets rebuilt after. Like, the communities, like, what gets salvaged? Like, when everything falls apart, like, what gets rebuilt? And that feels like, you know, like, there's this project over the summer that was about the 11 women who were murdered in Roxbury and Dorchester 40 years ago. It was, like, a commemoration of it. Um, and they were talking about like healing through the apocalypse. So, like, how these sort of people like Audre Lorde and um, people who are working at Kitchen of Women of Color, Kitchen of Table Press, like, people have been talking about like we're living through this apocalypse for, you know, 40 years and how you actually like sort of heal through it and then become stronger and better by it. So, And I've been reading all of these like submissions from people because our open call just ended uh, like five days ago. (laughs) So I've been reading some of like the really sort of terrifying, heartbreaking stories about apocalypse. And then some of these things that are actually like very sort of finding joy in certain moments. And, you know, like we, I, I joke a lot about climate catastrophe and like how like I don't have to worry about 40 years from now because I'll be dead and just thinking about like the things that we do to sort of keep ourselves in the right state of mind to remember that um, you know like joy is still possible joy is still necessary because like you can't there is no revolution without rest right like you can't fight 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 like you have to take a moment back like recoup and that gives you the power to sort of like break through so it's been like both sides of it but like the apocalypse has just been like all (laughs) infiltrating every aspect of my brain
2: i mean if you're paying attention at all like i think you're thinking about the apocalypse but yeah paige what are you
0: thinking about um I mean co-sign the apocalypse <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um but I've also been, you know, as we're doing more with Which the Vote and with this podcast, I've been trying to write a good concise summary of like what Which the Vote is and why we're doing this and it's really hard to get it all down into like a paragraph, you know, because so much of it is just stuff that I just feel in my bones and know to be true and I don't know it in words, you know? So I've been trying to listen to a lot of other witches and activists and trying to just absorb more of, of their wisdom and tap into the collective Um, because a big part of this whole fight is knowing that, like, we're not all islands, you know? We're all thinking this, we're all in this together, and we all have a lot to learn from each other. So I'm trying to um, take this... This moment of stillness in the season as an opportunity to learn, if not necessarily to be still,
2: I'm thinking about that idea of rest as well um and but also in conversation with like white privilege and like just kind of whether or not it is time for white people to rest mm-hmm. so it you know it might be a little controversial, but I obviously believe strongly in rest and being soft and taking naps and taking care of yourself and all of this um, kind of thing. But, you know, um, I also can't help but think about the other side of that, which is that, and again, like, obviously, not all white people, it's maybe more of even a class distinction, but just that sort of like the comfort of white folks kind of comes at the expense of Mm -hmm. like the rest of the planet in a lot of ways. And so, yeah. So I've just been thinking about that kind of conversation, um, because, you know, there are a lot of people that I really like and respect and sort of follow their lead that are, you know, talk about, um, rest a lot and how important it is. But, you know, we live in this very white bubble here in New England and, you know, I wish that people were doing a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) you know? Um, So that's all I'll say because my thoughts on this are all very like unformed and unfinished, but that's what I'm thinking about. Number four, um, how are you caring for yourself? This is our water question. So how are you taking care of
1: yourself? I already said baths, so (laughs) which is very watery. I should have saved that one. How am I caring? I'm trying to sort of reconcile being a small business and releasing myself from the idea that if I'm not productive, that I'm failing. That if I'm not selling something, I'm failing. And I think that I'm I'm trying to care for myself in the way that I'm trying to sort of, like, release myself. I'm trying to – I know why I feel bad about it. And I know that, like, productivity is such, like, a a burden in some ways. And I think that one of the things I'm trying to work on personally is trying to be, like, why am I really feeling this way? Like, if I don't get everything done on my checklist, like, it doesn't make me a bad person. I didn't fail today. I just did other things, you know, which is really hard when – you are a small business because it's just you, (laughs) you know, like, because there is, you know, like we are living under capitalism.
2: So it's interesting. I find myself always having to remind myself that I answer to me mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) because I mean, hard, same, agree a thousand percent with everything that you just said. It's really, really hard. Like even when you're your own boss and maybe especially when you're your own boss. Yeah. Trying to
0: deprogram myself from capitalist thinking. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. totally. Um, well, I, okay, I'm not usually a video game person, and I never really thought I would talk about video games (laughs) on this podcast, but my self care lately has been a video game called Stardew Valley, which is, and Anthony's laughing at me because I love this. I don't even know anything about this. So I, it, it's, it's this game that was designed by one person, this like little indie game. And the premise is that you're. An employee at this corporation that is like thinly veiled as Amazon. And one day you get a letter that your dead grandfather left you his farm in Pelican Town. And the graphics are really cute. Like everybody's just this cute lol, lol guy. And the town has all these villagers in it with all these really intricate backstories. And there's like a single mom and her kids, and then somebody whose husband is coming back from the war. But it's all very precious and pastoral. And you just, complete daily tasks. Like you just farm your stuff and then you go shear your sheep and then you put the wool in the the little spinner and you make your linen and then you go give the linen to somebody who loves it. And they say, Oh my gosh, thank you. And you get another heart. And it's just so wholesome. And you know, it just, it makes me really happy. And I feel like it's making me better at completing daily tasks when I'm like really bogged down in my feelings. It just reminds me of the satisfaction. So if you're not a video game person, I I highly recommend just losing yourself for a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny because
2: I'm also definitely not a video game person, but you saying that reminded me that like, so for Christmas, my sister, we have very little in common. We're like day and night. And um, she sent me and uh, my wife two little like mini Game Boys, like Nintendo Game Boys that have – They're like teeny tiny, but, and then they have like 500 games on it. And I remember a long, long time ago when I lived in Chicago and I had a partner who lost someone very close to them. Um, and we just like instinctively started playing a lot of Tetris, um, because they had a Nintendo and found out that like Tetris has been proven to like help in times of trauma. So we would say, like, do you want to play Trauma Tetris? And, uh, <laughs> and so anyway, so even though I, like, kind of wrote off these Game Boys when they came from my sister, I was like, now Melissa and I are totally playing Tetris a lot. <laughs> which, so that'll be my answer, because honestly, my answer was going to be, like, I don't think I am taking good care of myself right now. Or I'm I'm trying to be more aware of the ways in which I'm not really taking care of myself, which are hungry and numerous. So, but I am playing... Trauma Tetris, so that'll be my answer for now nice. um okay, and now finally, the real last question: is there a spiritual connection or practice that you can share with us?
1: I don't know I mean I know one of the things a, that i one. that I do and that I do frequently is i um I cleanse a lot of my belongings, especially the ones that I use for like divination. And I cleanse a lot of the the things that sort of are on my altar and I cleanse my home with salt a lot. So that's one of the things that I think really like benefits my, I, I need to, I'm a kind of person that needs to like feel completely at home in my home. Like I need it to feel comforting. I need it to be like a respite from the outside world. And I like to, I make this thing that's like Sicilian protection spray. Mm-hmm. So it's it's garlic, uh, cloves, and lemons, and water that just like boiled for hours and hours and just like fills your entire home with like this delicious smell. And then I spray it all over, and I put salt in all of the corners, and then I sweep up everything, and I throw it out my door. So, and it just really gives me like this overwhelming feeling of, like, everything. There's also something, like, spooky in my house. Like, not a nefarious entity, but, like, something that's, like, there's something there. So I feel like it keeps it really happy. (laughs) It keeps, like, the energy in my home, like, very balanced and very, like non-negative. it cleans out all of the the sort of like negative that I've brought home that my partners brought home that like we've created together <laughs> you know that we've just like like settled in like talking about things, arguing about things, talking about the outside world like it just it gives me um a moment to just like walk around my house to like be active for a moment to fill my house with a beautiful smell. And then to, like, get rid of all of the dirt, all the dust bunnies, all my cat hair, and just, like, throw it all out together. I'm sure my neighbors love seeing, like, just little piles of salt outside of my house. That's I never so thought weird. about that until just now, just, like, seeing, like, a little pile of dirt and cat hair and salt. <laughs> but and don't you kind of it. love being, like, the witch with the weird <laughs> shit outside of her,
2: you know? This and listen, you, like, the one neighborhood day
1: witch. for um, one of our, like, previous, um, like, local elections, one of my friends came over and we did a little spout and we, like, buried something outside. I have a tree in front of my house, which is, like, very rare in Dorchester for there to be, like, a tree, but I, like, love it. And I like bury things outside next to it all the time. And I was just like on my block burying this thing outside with the spoon, and just being like, my neighbors must like <laughs> <laughs> really <later>. be talking.
0: Totally. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um, well, I was I was gonna say salt sweeping also because <laughs> that's also yes. my favorite. Um, but for a variety of answer, um, I actually came across a spell that somebody posted online for the Australian fires that was um, a blue candle in a bowl of water and you let the blue candle burn down until the water extinguishes it. Um, so I'm I'm also a bath mm-hmm. person. So I've been kind of reworking that spell so that I'll um, strike a match and then put the match out in my bath water rather than like blowing it out. And that's been a very, very tiny ritual that has felt really nice to me lately. That's a beautiful idea. Mm-hmm.
2: I love that. And that, that can be, you know, reworked and reinterpreted in like so many different oh, yeah. ways.
0: For like whatever materials you have available, it could be, you know, a Bic lighter <laughs> that, you know, you're, yeah. you're symbolically, uh, right. Or, you know, if you're willing to sacrifice your, your Bic <laughs> lighter <laughs> to, to water.
2: And so, I mean, like so great because, you know, I think that people are, you know, truly in despair about what's happening in Australia. And so, yeah, the next time you feel a little hopeless about it, do that and set an intention for rain. I love that.
0: So So easy. easy. So easy.
2: Mine is that I recently was able to sort of connect with an ancestor of mine that I never knew too much about my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, um, Barbara. um, She died when my mother was 19. So before I was even born, And I've sort of felt nudged to connect with her. I mean, I never even called her by her name until last year. She was always my mom's mom who died before I was born. And she kind of came through in a couple of psychic readings that I'd gotten and sort of said, like, I'm Grandma Barbara. (laughs) (laughs) Stop calling me your mom's mom (laughs) who died before you were born. And so, yeah, so I've just been kind of working with – I was able to talk to my mom and fill in a little bit more of the blanks about her. And she's a totally fascinating person, actually, um, who got kicked out of two high schools for being rebellious, (laughs) and then was actually like a buyer for a department store in, you know, the late 40s, early 50s um, in Milwaukee, which was just like a time when, you know, women weren't didn't have many opportunities. Um, And so I certainly feel a connection between her having that career and the career that I have. And that was one of the things that these mediums said was basically like, oh, she's with you a lot because she loves what you're doing. Um, And now that makes a lot more sense. So I've (laughs) just been trying to incorporate Grandma Barbara. She loved cinnamon. So I burn a lot of cinnamon incense now. Her birthday was in April. Actually, her birthday is the day I signed the lease um, for the shop. So, anyways, so I've just been trying to connect with Grandma Barbara a little bit more. Her husband, my grandpa, has the birthday, his birthday is the day before mine. And he is sort of the person that introduced the idea that my family are witches (laughs) into my life. And so I have their wedding photo on my desk right now. And I'm like, those two were witches. You know, they're like, (laughs) you know, they're like probably like 21 and 23 or something in the picture. But and yeah, that I just am like, Oh yeah, you can totally tell that both of those, both of those were two were witches, um, which feels really cool. Cause I think that there's, you know, I think, uh, for myself and maybe I'm speaking for, um, more white people, it's really can be a little hard to connect to ancestry sometimes. It is for me, definitely. Um, so I think just being able to have some more information, but also to feel free, I think to kind of, Fill in some of the gaps, like, yourself, if you want, you know, about what you think your ancestors were or wanted or how they are still involved in, like, your life. Does that make sense? I don't know. Anyways, that's mine. Grandma Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> so, cool. Yeah, is there anything else that you want to tell the Witch the Vote listeners?
1: I don't think so. No,
0: no, Um, like, zine fairs or anything that you're going to be at soon or...
1: I don't think that – a lot of the ones that we do are in the fall. That's, like, the heavy zine fair season. But we do um, a lot in Boston, um, a lot of, like, the Boston hassle and brain art markets we do. So if there's one of those coming up, um, there's one in February, at the end of February that we'll definitely be at.
0: Oh, so keep an eye out for that. And to find you on social media, you're at – Snake hair Press
1: on Instagram? On Instagram, we are snake underscore hair. Um, and we just did a brand new website, which I'm very excited about. So now we are just snakehair.com. Cool.
0: And we'll link all of those in the show notes too. So everybody can find you. Well, thank you so much. This was totally awesome. And thank you for
2: existing and <laughs> making the things that you make and um, coming here to talk with us today.
1: Thank you. This was an absolute pleasure. Yay.
0: <laughs> well, thank you, Jessica, for being here with us and chatting. Um, we definitely wish that we could talk for like hours and hours longer, but apparently my neighbor's never going to stop vacuuming or Whatever it is he's doing (laughs) over over there. Yeah, something. And now there's car alarms. Basically, the universe, um, really wants our producers head to explode. So, (laughs) um, thank you all for listening. Um, and thank you again for leaving ratings and reviews. If you liked this last segment where we did our little Q and A elements, um, please leave us a five star rating. Um, and then if you want to answer the questions yourselves, leave them in the review section so we can read them because it's great to know what everybody else is up to.
2: And if you have any suggestions for guests or episode topics, um, we would love to hear that as well. Let's make this a collaboration, huh? Um, so you can email those suggestions if you'd like to witchthevote at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at which the vote and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash which the vote.
0: Oh, and remember, casting your vote is casting a spell. Okay. Thanks, witches. (laughs) Bye.
2: Bye.